Science and data are dead, and we have killed them. What was holiest and mightiest of all secular modernity have bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe the blood off us? The unelected fake doctor dictator, who now apparently runs LA County, has extended the lockdown order by three months, even as cases and deaths in Southern California remain low, all in the name of science and data. Then a drag queen raises six figures for abortionists on Middle America's favorite game show. Something has clearly gone wrong in the culture. And the woman campaigning for vice president finally endorses the guy she's asking to pick her. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. If this epidemic has proved one thing, it is this. Science has become a farce. Science is the new God that failed. That's how they referred to communism in the 20th century. Science is the new God that failed. Science isn't even science. That's, that's my big takeaway from the pandemic. What people are referring to as science these days is not science. It's politics. You know, the, even the word science, I think I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, the word science once referred to all knowledge. And now Science refers to egghead materialists trying to guess the future, usually incorrectly, and bossing us all around. That's what I'm hearing right here in my own town of Los Angeles. Los Angeles has had this lockdown, right? Initially, it was, whatever, 15 days to slow the spread. And it's been a game in California. The mayor is going to lock down, and then the governor is going to double lock down because the governor is not going to get one-upped by that two-bit mayor of L.A., and then the L.A. guy is going to go harder than the California governor, and it just gets worse and worse. So there was an announcement yesterday from Los Angeles County. Usually these announcements are done on camera, uh, but for some reason, this one was not done on camera. This, this was done during a meeting of the uh, Board of Supervisors. The LA Times reported on it. Presumably, this was off camera because it was such an outrageous announcement. The LA County Public Health Director, Dr. Deborah Ferrer, said at this closed Board of Supervisors meeting, based on all of the data that we're looking at, we know with all certainty that we'll be extending health officer orders for the next three months three months. People are starting to open up states. Georgia's opening up. Florida never really like totally shut down. Other states beginning to open up. And LA says they're going to double down for three months. Our hope always is that we're able by using the data, don't forget the data, the science and the data to be able to lift restrictions slowly over the next three months. Got me asking, Who exactly is this woman who's apparently now the dictator of LA, the dictatrix of LA? Dr. Deborah Ferrer. I googled her biography because Dr. Deborah Ferrer signs her press releases. I kid you not, or Dr. Barbara Ferrer, pardon me, not Deborah. Barbara Ferrer signs her press releases. Barbara Ferrer, PhD, MPH, MED, Director of Public Health. That's a degree of academic insecurity that I, that I guess people do this these days. They follow their name with all the different letters. But Barbara Ferrer, PhD, MPH, MED, Director of Public Health. So I wondered, okay, what are all of these degrees in? I wanted to know if even one of them was a real degree. PhD in social welfare from Brandeis University. 
Mm, I don't remember that one in the old quadrivium or trivium uh, liberal arts setup. I don't, it's, what is it? It's like rhetoric, mathematics, and social welfare. No, I don't think so. I don't remember that as just a, a basic department of a university. History, English, social welfare. No. Master of Arts in Public Health from Boston University. Eh. Master of Arts in Education from University of Massachusetts, Boston. Eh. Bachelor of Arts in Community Studies from the University of California at Santa Cruz, which is, I just spoke there, the most liberal college in the country. She's not a real doctor. (laughs) Why is this woman, why is the, the community studies expert now the dictatrix of Los Angeles? Nobody elected her. Okay. Nobody picked this woman. LA is doing fine. Do you know how many cases there are in LA County right now of coronavirus? There are, I think it's in in the five figure range of cases. Do you know how many deaths? 1,613. Every death is a tragedy, but we need to put these in perspective when we're talking about shutting down for three months. 1,613 deaths in a county of 10 million people. During that same period of time, about 1,700 people died in LA County from heart disease. Number is a bit higher for heart disease than it is for the coronavirus deaths that we are shutting down the county for with no evidence that the shutdowns are doing a damn thing. Now, once the news got out, LA starts trending. All of a sudden, the actual elected official starts going into damage control. Then they issue a clarification. We'll get to that in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at Ancestry DNA. You know, there are many paths to finding your family story. I first heard about this stuff from my grandfather. My grandfather got very into genealogy. Sometimes you hear about it over the kitchen table. Whatever way you choose, track tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. I have used Ancestry since before the Daily Wire existed. I love looking up my family's history and the Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative or perhaps a photo of your great grandma as a little girl. They'll just pop up on there. You'll find people you're related to. It's just very, very cool. Whatever you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. And you know, we love history on this show. Uh, It's a wonderful way to find out about your own personal history. And the Ancestry DNA can, can reveal so many other things that you wouldn't get in a normal family tree. Start exploring your family history today. Head over to my URL, Ancestry.com slash Knowles to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. Ancestry.com slash Knowles. Okay, so immediately after this, Eric Garcetti, mayor of LA, goes into damage control mode and calls into Jake Tapper's show on CNN. Well, I want to reassure people because I think there was a a lot of panic suddenly when the headline said we're all going to stay exactly as we are for three more months when that's not the case. I think quite simply she's saying that we're not going to fully reopen Los Angeles and probably anywhere in America without any protections or any health orders in the next three months. I think we know that it's going to be even longer than three months. And as I've said a million times, we're not moving past COVID-19. We're learning to live with it. We're not going to go back to pre-COVID-19 life anytime soon or jump forward to post-COVID-19 time until there is a medicine or a vaccine that allows that. So we're still living in the age of COVID-19. Okay, so blah, 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 mealy-mouthed, I don't want bad headlines, please get me off of Twitter, but still what she said is basically correct. So he calls in, right, and he says, I think what she probably meant was, 
yeah, no, don't worry. It won't be that bad, but we're not going to lift the orders until after a vaccine is available. By the way, there's no evidence we're ever getting a vaccine ever. Maybe we will. I hope we will. Maybe we'll get one within a year and a half, which still won't do us any good on these lockdown orders and will certainly have destroyed the global economy by then. But there's also no evidence we're ever going to get a vaccine. There are plenty of viruses and diseases that we don't have vaccines for. He says, yeah, but okay, but please basically get us off of Twitter. So then this woman, Barbara Ferrer, PhD, MPH, MED, Director of Public Health, sends out a clarification afterwards. Doesn't make it any better. She says, we're being guided by science and data our gods of liberal modernity, science and data, that will safely move us forward along the road to recovery in a measured way, one that allows us to ensure that effective distancing and infection control measures are in place. We are counting on the public's continued compliance with the orders to enable us to relax restrictions. And we're committed to making sure that LA County is in the best position to provide its 10 million residents with the highest level of wellness possible. Did you hear what she said there. We are trying to move along the road to recovery in a measured way, and we're counting on the public's continued compliance with the orders to help us relax the orders. What is that? What what are you talking about? If If the orders are in place, if you want people to comply with them, then you're not relaxing them. If you're relaxing them, then people don't need to comply with them. See, this is what we get to at the heart of all of these. It's what you hear in Garcetti's voice, Uh, same story with all of them. Do exactly what we say, and maybe we'll give you some of your rights and privileges back. But don't do what we say, and we're going to double down. That's what Gavin Newsom did when he closed down the beaches specifically of his political opponents. But I thought the whole point of the orders, I thought the whole point of the lockdowns was we have to do it. So if you're saying that we're, we're about to ease the restrictions as long as you do what we say, then it makes me question whether we had to do it in the first place. It seems so damn arbitrary and they defend all of it in the name of science and data. I'm sick of, I never want to hear that phrase again. I'm done. I like science in the sense that I like knowledge, but I don't like the way that science has been politicized by the left. It has become a joke. It's a, it's a, it's a false God. Get, I'm, I don't care. I'm not paying any uh, worship to the liberal god of science with a capital S and a trademark over the E. Uh-uh. You actually saw a fight breakout, a disagreement breakout over at the Senate between Dr. Rand Paul, a scientist, and Dr. Anthony Fauci, another scientist. And they were having a disagreement and a debate over the nature of these lockdown orders. I think Rand Paul got it exactly right. In rural states, we never really reached any sort of pandemic levels in Kentucky and other states. We have less deaths in Kentucky than we have in in an an average flu season. It's not to say this isn't deadly, but really outside of New England, we've had a relatively benign course for this virus nationwide. And I think the one size fits all that we're going to have a national strategy and nobody's going to go to school is kind of ridiculous. We really ought to be doing it school district by school district. And the power needs to be dispersed because people make 
wrong predictions. And really the history of this, when we look back, will be of wrong prediction after wrong prediction after wrong prediction, starting with uh, Ferguson in England. So I think we ought to have a, a little bit of humility in, in our uh, belief that we know what's best for the economy. And as much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the one person that gets to make a decision. We can listen to your advice, but there are people on the other side saying there's not going to be a surge and that we can safely open the economy. And the facts will t- bear this out. Thank you. That one line, as much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the guy who gets to make all of these decisions for us. You know, this woman, Barbara Ferrer, PhD, MPH, MED, Director of Public Health in Los Angeles, nobody elected her. There is no evidence that she understands anything about weighing real political questions, the real eternal questions, having accountability to constituents, constituents she doesn't even have. Frankly, there's no evidence that she knows all that much about medicine, all that much about viruses. And yet for some reason, she gets to call the shots. And then you have 12 hours of headlines about how LA is locking down for three months, even though none of the elected officials even, even called for it. Certainly none of the citizens called for it. Why are we exporting our politics to this dictatorship of lab coats? I don't remember that. I didn't go to the ballot in 2016 and vote for the exalted emperor Fauci. Okay. Maybe he's a nice guy. Maybe he's a smart guy. I don't know. I don't know him, but here's what I do know. He doesn't rule me. Well, now I guess he does, but he shouldn't. And we shouldn't permit this kind of thing to happen. So I think Rand Paul hit the nail on the head and Fauci, to his credit, responded by saying that, yes, Rand Paul, you're right. I have never made myself out to be the end all and only voice in this. I'm a scientist, a physician, and a public health official. I give advice according to the best scientific evidence. There are a number of other people who come into that and give advice that are more related to the things that you spoke about, about the need to get the country back open again and economically. I don't give advice about economic things. I don't give advice about anything other than public health. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a good line. That's a good way to avoid responsibility, Dr. Fauci. But the reality of the situation, whether it's through your own doing or just because of the position people have put you in, you are giving advice on all those things. When Dr. Fauci goes up, like he did for several weeks of this shutdown and gives the lion's share of the expert testimony at these coronavirus briefings, then he is giving advice on the economy. When, when Dr. Fauci goes up and says, look, from my position as a doctor, as a scientist, as a lab coat for public health, we need to keep the economy locked down, foot on the accelerator, as he said, his words, for the foreseeable future. He is giving advice on the economy, right? He's not saying from the perspective of of the epidemic, we need to remain locked down, but we can open the economy, but we can open our political rights. But, but the, no, you can't separate those things. These are political questions. If you're going to lock down, then you're locking down people's political rights. You're locking down people's economic rights and you're locking down people from the perspective of public health. It's all the same thing. And so perhaps this is actually a little more to be laid at the feet of President Trump than it is of Dr. Fauci. After all, Trump is the one who put Fauci in front of the cameras. But it, in retrospect, hindsight's twenty twenty. it might have been better if President Trump, instead of only putting Dr. Fauci or Dr. Scarf out there to talk about, you know, how important it is that we all lock down, if he had also, from the very beginning, 
Put up more people to talk about the economy. Put up more people to talk about national security. Put up more people to talk about our rights that, that obviously are being suspended in this, in this unusual time of epidemic. If he had, if he in, in the presentation on this topic had put Dr. Fauci in his place, it's not a personal thing, but it's a political thing. If he had put science in its place, science, the way we talk about it today, meaning materialistic methods of inquiry into the natural world, natural science serves a purpose. It serves a great function in its place. But we, when, when we pretend that it's our political ruler, when we pretend that it's a god, then things go wacky. So I think finally now we're starting to move a little bit more in the right direction. And you know who's really upset about that? You know who's furious? Chris Cuomo at CNN. Chris Cuomo, the guy who pretended to be in quarantine, then broke his quarantine order and got in a fight with a guy in the street, and then, then lied to his own audience and said that he was actually still in quarantine, and then filmed a really cringe-inducing video where he came out of quarantine, allegedly, and talked to his family, who probably he gave the virus to, presumably, since he wasn't actually social distancing. That guy is really furious that you are beginning to ask for a reopening. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, I've got to thank our friends over at Raycon. You know how frustrating it is when the wires of your earphones, of your earphones, rather, get tangled, right? I know how frustrating it is when my earpiece on a wire gets tangled out of my ear. It's really frustrating. That's why today, it's 2020, you need a great pair of wireless earbuds. It's, I know that you think, I thought this before I got wireless earbuds, you think it's going to be like 20% better than having the, the ones with wires? No, it's like 2 million percent. It's a completely different thing. You need it. Catch up. Before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, though, you got to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. I'm not naming names. And they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands. Well, their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. With six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. They're just terrific. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Knowles. That's buyraycon.com slash Knowles. 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Knowles. K-N-W-L-E-S. Chris Cuomo, he doesn't like this. He does not like you trying to get out of your own lockdown. You know, it's, it's kind of funny that in this bizarro world of redefining science, Rand Paul can be a science denier. Ron, Rand Paul, the doctor, the scientist. But Chris Cuomo, the TV hack, is somehow like the defender of science and public health. But hey, that's the world we're living in, I guess. So listen to the way. In this clip, another impassioned plea. Chris Cuomo talks about lockdowns, the virus, and science itself. It sounds like he's in a cult. We take care of family because we're devoted to something bigger than them or us, the cause of the collective. But right now, the American family is in a period of dysfunction. We're estranged and acting strangely. 10,000 more Americans could die by August because so many places are relaxing social distancing. What happened to no man left behind? Now it's 10,000 is okay. Look, it's common sense that that's what would happen. You don't need the models to tell you that. If you stop social distancing, that's why those who attack this reality do it with snark and cynical self-interest, like Senator Rand Paul did today. 
remember that beard, that's Paul's COVID beard. He had the virus and he still seems to be suffering from a type of sickness, but one of the soul. Does he really think that he has no obligation to anyone but his state? America's never won by going every man and woman for themselves. Only when we are all in do we win. <laughs> Who writes this stuff? Does he, does, does Chris Cuomo, when he's hiring writers for CNN, does he just go to like 3 a.m. freshman dorm room bull sessions and then he finds the biggest pothead in the room who's, who's, uh, you know, a sort of would-be poet and clouded with all these really hippy-dippy ideas. He says, you, you are going to write my monologues. Only when we're all in do we win. We got something bigger than ourselves, man. The cause of the collective, you know, man, it's bigger. It's outside of us. <clears throat> man, you know, also, what does that mean? So he says, there's something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, I agree with that. Great. Okay. We're talking about religion now. Cool. Let's talk about that thing bigger than ourselves. And he says, the cause of the collective. He goes right back to this political, ideological, frankly, communist kind of rhetoric, the cause of the collective. Because that, that is the God, right? That is the God that the left is following. This secular scientific materialism. It's been the same story for the progressive left going back all the way to Karl Marx, at least, and certainly forward in basically an unbroken line of progressive leaders. He says, what happened to no man left behind? 75 people die in the United States every day of various causes. Chris Cuomo seems to be denying the reality of death. Really, he's just demagoguing the reality of death. So he's got all these weird vagaries that he's talking about. He's talking about science, right? As, as though it were some kind of religion. Then he tells us what to do. We are not prevailing. Not until we show the desperation to get tracing and testing. Until that, we'll be failing because we're failing to give the truth to the people, which will give them the trust they need to reopen. You can't wish a virus away. It won't miraculously disappear. The president traces and tests every damn day and everyone around him has a mask on. Now, he doesn't because he wants to keep up the Fox farce, this BS that COVID-19 is overrated. I guess the anti-elitists over there are okay with 10,000 more dead. Yeah, that's, you just want dead people, Fox News and Trump and conservatives. That's what you want. What you, you're saying this thing is, this virus has been overblown just because we all told you for weeks that 2.4 million Americans would die and the actual reality is probably under 100,000 by the latest models. And we were off not just by an order of magnitude, but by a multiple in an order of magnitude. That's why what you're saying, what he is saying here at the end is that if you observe correctly, undeniably that Chris Cuomo and all the rest of the leftist and scientistic hacks got the virus completely wrong. If you just observe that basic fact, then you're killing 10,000 people. That is the degree of scientific discourse that we're seeing on the left now obviously has nothing to do with science. Even the words that we shouldn't use the word science as people use it today. It's a way for people to pretend that they possess all the knowledge in the world and that you do not. And then 
but time and time again, we see they don't seem to know much of anything at all. But believe it or not, Cuomo's weird rant was not even the craziest thing on TV. Over the past few days, that award would have to go to The Price is Right, on which a drag queen raised a hundred grand for abortionists on one of middle America's favorite game shows. We'll get to all that in just one second. First, I got to thank our friends, the Benham Brothers. You know, it's never been more important to manage your business, workforce, and workflow really well. Systems are crucial right now. The Benham Brothers are great at this. These guys have over a dozen businesses, including a real estate empire that spans over 35 states. Just a few weeks ago, the Benham Brothers launched a new podcast called Expert Ownership. In their podcast, the Benham Brothers interview leaders from all walks of life to help you navigate your business through these challenging times. You'll hear from leaders such as Senator Ted Cruz. I know that guy. I think I've, I've heard of that guy before. Al Robertson from Duck Dynasty and many more. Also, just on a personal level, I really like the Benham Brothers. They're just really cool guys. So uh, I would definitely go recommend them. At the end of today's show, I'll play a quick preview of one of their most recent interviews. Go check out their new podcast, Expert Ownership, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll drop a link to their podcast in our show description. Again, that is Expert Ownership. That is the Benham Brothers. Really cool guys. Never more important uh, than it is right now to uh, try to get a handle on, on your business. Go check it out. So Drew Carey and The Price is Right, making Chris Cuomo and CNN look normal. RuPaul, who I'm very pleased to say I, I did not know who he was. I'd heard the name, but I didn't know who he was. RuPaul goes on The Price is Right and raises nearly six figures for the largest abortion mill in America. Here he is. So, Rue, you're going to be playing for charity yes. uh, all during the show. You're going to be playing alongside the contestants. And whatever you win and the rest of the contestants win, we're going to match and give to a special charity that Rue is playing That's for. Right. What's the charity? Well, I am playing for Planned Parenthood, which provides vital and often free services for both men and women. It's funny when he says that in these studios, they have lights that go on and they say applaud and yell now. And, and that's how the audience is always, you know, on a, on a dime, begin applauding and standing up and all that. You can see when he mentioned Planned Parenthood, though, there, there are a number of faces out there in the crowd. They're like, wait, wait, what? Huh? Ugh, I don't know. Yikes. I don't want to be seen on national television applauding for a million dead babies a year, but that's what they're doing. Everything about that clip is wrong. <laughs> right? A man who dresses up like a woman going on middle America's former favorite show to raise money to kill a million babies a year. Something clearly has gone wrong in the culture. You know, there's that, that line about cynics. They say cynics know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Uh, never clearer than on this particular episode of the price is right. Price is right. Very simple game show. It, very Ah, middle America, you know, this was one bastion where the sort of liberal progressive wackos that, that run so many of the other parts of Hollywood and television, they hadn't quite infected it. It was such a simple game. You go on and you try to guess the price of regular goods. And then if you guess the price right, you win prizes. How did they infect that one? How did, how did the left even get in to that one? Because the left destroys everything it touches. And the left progresses. It always has to progress. It has to get into every institution. Obviously, the reactions to this were not so great. One guy on Twitter tweets out, Price is Right had a special show this evening and donated 94 grand to Planned Parenthood. I say goodbye to the Price is Right. Watching tonight's episode giving away 97 grand 
to, what was it, 94 or 97? I don't know. These guys disagree. To Planned Parenthood. You've got to be kidding me. You've lost a lifelong fan. Something has changed in the culture. You know, there's, I think, a temptation to say, oh, you know, the culture was always this crazy and yeah, things are always radical. No, (laughs) you know, the Price is Right has been around for what, 40, 50 years? It's been around for so long, for a long time hosted by Bob Barker. Maybe we got to pull that guy out of retirement if this is what Drew Carey is doing to the show. But we can actually watch what's happened on the used to be totally normal, good old wholesome American entertainment. And now it's drag queens promoting abortionists. Something has gone wrong in the culture and it's mostly conservatives fault. Okay. It's not, this isn't the left's fault. I mean, it's, it is the left's fault in that the left is aggressing in this culture war, but the, the conservatives really, I think, bear the brunt of the blame here because we've just put our heads in the sand. You know, the left always wanted this and they basically always told us that they wanted this. We always knew they wanted this. Conservatives are the one who let this happen. You know, conservatives are the ones who basically sold out for some economic policies that they want. You know, the, you see this time and time and again, when you look at histories of the 20th century, the conservatives in some ways won on the economic battles. You know, they were able to reestablish some greater control of property rights. They were able to lower taxes at times. They were able to get certain trade deals that they wanted, but at the cost of losing the entire culture. And the conservatives let it happen. You know, they, they basically embraced this idea of, oh, forget about the so- social issues. Oh, you know, if it, if it feels good, do it. If it's not hurting me, if it doesn't affect me, who cares? Politics doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's never been how politics works. You can't have a politics where everyone is totally separate and doing what they want to themselves or in their own privacy without it having any effect on the culture. We know that that doesn't work going all the way back to Aristotle's politics. We know that that doesn't work going back to the founding fathers of our own country. You can read their writings and we know that that doesn't work today that highly individualistic, do whatever you want kind of licentiousness leads to a culture that is going to affect all of us because we're all living in this same place. So if the place that we're living in, if the culture that we're all moving around in all the times, if that gets degraded, that is going to affect us, whether we want to admit that or not. And conservatives need to get a little bit more serious about the cultural issues. I remember I was working in politics in 2010 when conservatives were finally going to do something about the debt and the deficit. That was the big issue in 2010, 2011. And so everyone was really gung-ho about it. Paul Ryan, to his credit, was really trying to fix the debt and the deficit. And it flopped. It all failed. Mitt Romney failed. They all failed. And then in 2016, you had President Trump not running. He didn't run on the debt. He didn't run on any of these bean counting issues, economic issues. He ran on the cultural issues and he won. And he's actually had some success affecting the culture. It became clear then what Andrew Breitbart used to always say, politics being downstream of culture and all that, that uh, maybe this isn't exactly the way that he was thinking about it, but it is an important way to think about it. These issues, what it means to be an American, what, what it means to have closed borders, what it means to have a coherent culture, what it means to be a moral and religious people, to use John Adams' words, that will affect all of the other issues. If you get that in order, then all the kind of economic and other political questions fall in place. But if you try to invert that, you're not going to get anything in the long run. 
Speaking of completely inverted politics, there's a woman named Stacey Abrams who has been campaigning for vice president pretty unsubtly. I've never seen a vice presidential campaign like this ever in American history. And then it turns out she actually had never endorsed the guy for president that she was hoping would pick her. So yesterday she finally endorsed Joe Biden. We'll get to that in a second. First though, I want to take a moment to thank you. I want to tell you about Daily Wire's newest, most exclusive membership tier, All Access. The All Access membership tier is our premier level of membership. All Access members get to participate in All Access Live each night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's not, I call it a show, but it's not a show. You just, it's sort of a hangout. It's very low key, very enjoyable as we're all stuck in quarantine. Uh, Andrew Clavin will be hosting you tonight. So get excited, but that's not all. You get so much more. You get three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, exclusive Q and A's. You get the Tumblr, probably most importantly. So head on over dailywire.com slash subscribe to join the all access club with a new membership or, or an upgrade and get 10% off with coupon code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. dailywire.com slash subscribe, coupon code Knowles. We'll be right back with a lot more. So the woman campaigning for vice president finally remembered to endorse the guy who she's trying to get to pick her, the guy who's running for president. She says, quote, Vice President Biden is the leader America needs, a leader who will restore dignity, competence, and compassion to the Oval Office. <laughs> competence, yeah, okay. While restoring America's moral leadership around the world. Yeah, okay, well, I'll talk to Tara Reid about that, I guess. His commitment to fighting climate change, leading an economic recovery for all, and protecting every eligible American's right to vote are among the many reasons why he must be the next president of the United States. Now, the reason I read that to you instead of playing a clip is because Stacey Abrams formally endorsed Joe Biden, not on video. She did it in a written statement. Wonder why? (laughs) I think part of the reason is she doesn't want that video footage out there because it's humiliating to endorse Joe Biden because nobody thinks that guy should be president. I don't think his wife thinks that he should be president. It's pretty clear when you look at him, that guy has no business in the Oval Office. So I don't think she wants that footage. I think a lot of Democrats are not sure that he's even going to get the nomination. I think that's part of the reason why she's delayed endorsing him. I think she's hedging her bets. The other reason I mentioned this when I was reading it about Tara Reid is it looks terrible on the Me Too front. I don't know that Joe Biden did whatever this woman says that he did back in the early 90s. In fact, I think after that long a period of time that he certainly deserves the benefit of the doubt and certainly always these, the accused deserve due process. The issue here is the hypocrisy and the Me Too movement. The left says, believe all women. And then the moment that anyone accuses a Democrat, they suddenly stop believing all women. And Vice News, to their credit, pushed Stacey Abrams on camera on this point, And they backed her into a corner and she finally just came out and said it. She said what all the other Democrats are at least implicitly saying that Tara Reid is not telling the truth. I think there are two pieces. One, I believe women deserve to be heard. I believe their allegations deserve to be vetted. They deserve to have investigation. And they deserve the space again to describe their experiences. But the question I got was a question not only of Joe Biden's character, but of my character. And if I believed that he had done what he is accused of doing, I would not be in any other conversations. Uh, because that's wrong. What he is accused of doing that he has flatly and clearly denied, and I believe his denial, 
speaks not only to who he is, but to who I am. Because privilege so just and power explain, not... explain what you mean by that. So if, yeah. if you felt there was evidence behind it, you would not support him as a candidate? I, I, of course not, because I believe that we are obliged to serve justice to those who have been wronged. And for, for me, if I thought that this man had done that, then I could not be in this space. Everything about this is so backwards. Listen to what she says just first on Joe Biden. She says, I believe his denial. That's a really weird way to put it. Because, I mean, I believe his denial too, in the sense that I believe he's denying what he's being accused of. So sure, I believe he's denying it. But that, the question isn't the denial. The question is the allegation. So what you have to answer is, do you believe the allegation? And she doesn't. She thinks this woman is not telling the truth. But she doesn't want to say that because that's in the negative and that is making it too clear what she really believes. So instead, she totally reverses it and says, I believe the denial. No, you, you don't believe the woman. You don't believe all women because you don't believe that woman. And you don't believe that woman, I think, because that's politically inconvenient. That's the first place she flips it. Then the other place she flips it is she says, look, I was asked a question not about Joe Biden's character, but about my character. Everything is about her. Everything is always about Stacey Abrams, right? She has to pretend that she actually won a race in Georgia that she lost because it's not possible that the people would vote against Stacey Abrams. The victory of Brian Kemp in Georgia is actually the, the story of the loss of Stacey Abrams in Georgia, which is really the story of the victory of Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams says, it's about my character. So she doesn't begin from, is this woman telling the truth? Did Joe Biden really do this? Does this mean that he's an unfit character to be president? Therefore, will I endorse him or not? She actually begins at the last stage. She begins from this total political cynicism, says, well, I am endorsing Joe Biden and I'm not the sort of person who would endorse a rapist. Therefore, Joe Biden's denial has to be the truth. Therefore, the woman can't be telling the truth. It's all about her and it's all beginning from her own political interests. She, she's barely even pretending to talk about the truth. It's, it's so, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a more cynical politician in, at least in recent American history, you know, in our lifetimes than Stacey Abrams. And it's why I have this sort of perverse love of her as a candidate, as a democratic candidate. I, I want her to be the candidate because she's so cartoonishly bad. She's so cartoonishly shallow, cynical, unlikable politically that I really want her to be the vice president. So she's, she's got my endorsement too. Joe has her endorsement. She has mine. It's a question about my character. Do you think I am the sort of person who would endorse a, uh, an unfit character to be the democratic vice presidential candidate? Yes, I am. <laughs> of course I am. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, also in our backwards up topsy turvy upside down through the looking glass world, there's a case I mentioned a little bit yesterday. Uh, this is one of the most important court cases that we're seeing in the next few months. You're going to see two very important court cases on transgenderism. Now who cares about transgenderism? It affects virtually statistically zero people in the country, but the left has made it a big issue because the left is using this to get through their entire agenda. The left is using this to get through their entire ideology because if the left can force you to believe that men are women and women are men, then there is no objective reality. There is no objective standard that we have to refer to. It's all merely subjective preference. It's all merely interest. And the left can rewrite 
they can rewrite the whole country. They can rewrite our laws and they're trying to do that right now. So there's this case uh, in Connecticut. The ADF filed a suit. The ADF is the Alliance Defending Freedom. Great organization. They filed a suit in February against the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference on behalf of three girls, uh, Selena Sewell, Alana Smith, and Chelsea Mitchell. These three girls are runners in their school sports. And what they're suing over is that these girls are being forced to compete against boys. So Title IX of the, you know, Title IX exists to create female sports. So the women can compete against the women and the men can compete against the men. The women don't have to compete against the men because men are physically stronger than women. And when men compete against women in sports, men win. There are many stories on this topic, which maybe, maybe we'll try to go into a little bit later, but generally speaking, virtually all the time, men win. Title IX sets up women's sports on the basis of sex. If sex is redefined to mean gender, if biological sex is redefined to mean subjective gender identity psychology, then it's not that that expands women's sports to include more people. That abolishes women's sports. There are no more women's sports because women's sports all of a sudden include men and the men win which is what happened to these girls. And so not only would they lose, unfortunately, these tournaments, but you know, you could lose scholarships, you could lose college recruiting. So that's the case. And the deck is already stacked against them. It's the case, they haven't even gone, gone through the case yet. And the district judge, a Clinton appointee by Robert, uh, his name is Robert Chetigny, chastised the ADF for referring to the boys as boys. He said at the beginning of the case, he said, you can't refer to the boys as boys. This is his exact quote. What I'm saying is you must refer to them as transgender females rather than as males. Again, that's the more accurate terminology. Yeah, okay. And I think that it fully protects your client's legitimate interests. Referring to these individuals as transgender females is consistent with science, capital S. I don't know what science he's looking at, but if, if science means leftist ideology, then I guess it is consistent. Certainly not consistent with objective reality. Common practice and perhaps human decency to refer to the boys as males, period, is not accurate. Certainly not as accurate. And I think it's needlessly provocative. I don't think that you surrender any legitimate interest or position if you refer to them as transgender females. That is what the case is about. This isn't a case involving males who have decided that they want to run in girls' events. Yes, it is. That's exactly what the case is about. This is a case about girls who say, that transgender girls should not be allowed to run in girls' events. There's no such thing as transgender girls. There's only boys. So going forward, we will not refer to the proposed interveners as males, understood? And obviously, the lawyer for ADF says, that's the whole game. That's the whole case. If we refer to these boys as girls, as you, judge, are telling us to do, then we have no case because girls are allowed to compete against girls. That's what Title IX does. Our problem is that you and the sickos and the cynics who are pushing this ridiculous leftist ideology are not permitting girls to compete against girls. You're forcing girls to compete against boys, which totally takes away the rights of girls in Title IX. So that's the argument. Maybe my version was a little more colorful, but that's the argument that Roger Brooks, the late attorney for ADF, made. They finally got the judge to agree to just use the term transgender. So they'd say, he's a transgender. Well, I guess they can't say he. The person is a transgender, but 
There is no third category of transgender. There are boys and there are girls. And there is a very infinitely, infinitesimally small number of people who are uh, what, what's called intersex or hermaphroditic, where there's some ambiguity as to the genitals or the biological sex. But of course, the existence of, a, of a, that very small section that, uh, and, and exception of people doesn't uh, obliterate the categories, right? Just when there is sometimes a very rare ambiguity between two distinct categories, that doesn't obliterate the existence of those categories. And that's not what's at issue, by the way, in this case. It's not somebody with an ambiguous sex. It's a boy who by all markers of objective reality is a boy. Simply saying through sheer tyranny of will that he is a girl and has the right to beat girls in races and take away their scholarships. That's what's at issue. So even giving up, even, you know, I guess ADF kind of had to give it up. The judge was just not going along with it. But even giving him that term transgender is giving away the game. This is the way that the culture is stacked against the conservatives. This is the way that science is abused and appropriated and monopolized and perverted and transformed to invert objective reality. The judge did follow up. He said, if you feel strongly that you and your client have a right to refer to these individuals as males, could you imagine calling boys males? And that you therefore do not want to comply with my order, then that's unfortunate. But I'll give you some time to think about it and you can let me know if it's a problem. If it is, gosh, maybe we'll need to do something. I don't want to bully you. (laughs) I don't want to bully you like the torturers in 1984. I don't want to force you to say that two plus two equals five, but you know, you have to say it or, uh, or else, (laughs) but I don't want to bully you. He goes, I don't want to bully you, but at the same time, I don't want you to be bullying someone else, you know, by calling a boy, a boy and a girl, a girl and saying two plus two equals four. Maybe you might need to take an application to the court of appeals. I don't know, but I certainly don't want to put civility at risk in this case. It is you judge who's being uncivil. It is you. You are, you are the uncivil one because you won't use common language, basic language, objectively true symbols to refer to reality because of your own ideology, because you are so blinded by your ideology, which you call science, which the, the left has always called its ideology science. They've called it the science of history since Karl Marx. You're so blinded by that ideology that you actually believe that a boy is a girl. Not very scientific to me. If that's science, perhaps we need some other basis of knowledge with which to understand the world, with which to argue, and with which to form our politics. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. 
The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. What uh, would you give as just, just advice for an entrepreneur, business owner right now who's going through these tough economic times, but did you have any specific advice that you give them as it relates to their money? I think you're in a 60, 90, 120 day mindset. You're only running the business for that amount of time. I think that's where I would tell you to start because when you do that, guys, here's what happens. I get clarity for 60 days or for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. And, and we're running the business based on that because the world, the economy is going to change and get back to a much more normal situation. So the issue is how do we stay alive? Yeah, that's, that's my right. fear is how many businesses will absolutely close the doors forever because of this. But if you can hang on, better days are coming. That's literally where my brother and I are right now. I mean, we're in this. So we're not like sitting here as talk show hosts, thought yeah. leaders. We're actually in the trenches right, right now making very difficult decisions. Early in our business, we created three budgets. We created a livable, a comfortable, yep. and an incredible budget. Great. And so we're pivoting immediately to the livable budget.